Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Hey, this is Ryan from the Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 105. And today on the show, I have JP Choquette, and we talk about all things thrillers, how she almost quit, but made a great comeback, which you'll be very inspired by. And we chat about much, much more. So glad that you are here. Let's go. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips and advice on writing fast, writing often and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton. I'm so glad that you are here. The podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well, helping you get unstuck and get more words on the page. So glad you, that you're here. If it's your first time, hey, welcome. Uh, really glad that you're here. This is my podcast, and hopefully you will enjoy it wherever you are in your writing journey or want to find some new authors and uh, hear, hear about their journeys and find some cool new books. Well, JP Choquette today is going to share her story, a thriller writer um, out of the New England area. And uh, we have a great conversation and she is a very inspiring person and someone that I was so glad to talk to you because she talks about a point in her life where she wanted to give up and how she made a comeback and, and what she learned from that. And you're going to love that part because I, I know if you're like me and if you're human, there's been something in your life that you have wanted to give up and say, you know what, this isn't worth it. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm wasting my time. And, and yet you found something that maybe it was time to just maybe pause for a while and come back to it um, or give it up altogether and end up down a different, different road, and a different path. And so, especially with writing, I know for a lot of us, we need that encouragement. We need that inspiration because it's, it can be hard. Creative work can be, be hard. Um, but you know, it's not dig, digging ditches either, but, uh, uh, so I'm really glad that you are here today. And just a couple of things, speaking of not giving up is I am getting so close to the 45 day novel course, and it is coming out really, really well. I'm so excited to make this for you and to share this with you, how to write, edit, publish, and market your book in 45 days or less, even with a day job is coming along. I'm, I'm in the final throes of that. So I've been talking about that a lot. And uh, I've had some hiccups along the way, like a power outage earlier this week, which wasn't fun. And uh, so the power is back on. We had some storms in the area. Uh, so that wasn't fun. Lost the internet, lost power, um, had some water in the basement. Not fun either. So, uh, but we're, we're good. We're not swimming anymore. Everything's good. Everything's dried up and I'm getting, getting back at the 45 day novel course. And so I'm working on that, getting that all squared away. And I'm so excited to, again, to share that with you. So if you'd like to stay updated on that, just join the VIP list. Uh, that's our newsletter where you will get updates on podcast this course and uh, other resources that we are sending out. And so if you just want to kind of stay in the loop, I'll let you know that. And then we'll have a kind of a special sign up for anybody that's interested in the course itself. And, uh, and really, I think it's for, for 
really everybody. I mean, if you're trying to get that first novel done, maybe second or third, or you've been doing it a long time, it's a, it's really a blueprint to kind of help you become more of a prolific writer and how to really write great stories, how to edit those stories, publish those stories and share those stories and, and get uh, and find readers. And so uh, hopefully that would serve you wherever you are uh, on the journey. So uh, check out the VIP list. I'll put that in the show notes uh, as well. And so without further ado, here is my little chit chat conversation with JP Choquette. Enjoy. Well, thanks everyone for coming by the prolific writer today. Today, I'm so happy to have JP Choquette on the show. And JP is a thriller writer, I believe from Vermont. Uh, I could be wrong. Um, but uh, she has graciously decided to join us. And JP, why don't you say hello and tell us one thing that nobody would know about you except closest friends or family? Oh, good question. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show, Ryan. And uh, you did a beautiful job pronouncing my complicated French last name. <laughs> um, one thing that only people closest to me might know. Um, oh, I have one. I have my motorcycle license, and I have never driven a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. You can't, you can't just say that and then not expound on that. So... Got the license, and then what happened? Life happened, or just just in case yeah, got, zombies come, you can get out. I got the license um, when I had a scooter um, that my husband bought for my thirtieth birthday, and so I went through the whole safety training class, got my license, but I've never actually ridden a motorcycle, um, only a scooter. Okay. Well, hey, at least you have the scooter, so we won't we won't hold that against you. Uh, well, hey, JP, it's good. I'm really excited to to chat with you and hear about your kind of uh, writing journey and uh, d- done a lot of good things and written a lot of books and um, and so I, I want to just kind of jump right in and and talk a little bit about you talk about in your kind of I don't know if you call it your tagline or kind of your vision for your books is you write thrillers that turn pages but not stomachs. So tell us a little bit what you mean by that. Yeah, so I find it frustrating to be reading along in a book that I'm really enjoying. Um, It's full of creepiness and suspense, and it's got the chill factor going. And then all of a sudden, it goes into a place that's very graphic and gory. And um, there's lots and lots of description about torture or whatever it is. Um, And that just makes me either put the book aside in disgust or um, at the very least, you know, skip through a whole bunch of pages trying to figure out where I can re-enter the story without all of that. Um, So I love being creeped out and scared when I'm reading um, the same way that I do when I'm watching movies, but I don't, I think there's a way to do that uh, where you don't have to delve into the really gory graphic stuff. No, I, I love that. So why don't we dig dig deeper in that? I think that'd be a great uh, little writing, you know, technique, if you will. So uh, like in a movie, I, I love, you know, when I, I think good movies and good books, at least in my opinion, are you, you, you allow the, the reader or the watcher to use their own imagination. So, you know, instead of showing the, you know, every detail of the bedroom scene, you, you show the couple going into the bedroom scene. It's like, okay, we know it's kind of going to go on in there or whatever. Um, so, so when you, when you think through that as a writer, like how, how do you kind of do that strategically or practically, you know, when you write those scenes? So obviously there's things going on, there's scary parts or whatever, but, but how do you kind of do that while still kind of engaging the reader's imagination? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it really boils down to, um, being able as a writer to let your reader fill in the gaps. So the same way that I don't need to describe say um my characters say my characters in the kitchen washing dishes i don't need to describe her filling up the sink with water adding the soap watching the cloud of bubbles right we all know Mm -hmm. that because that's what happens when you wash dishes everyone's probably washed dishes in their lifetime um so i think it's possible and 
for me more enjoyable to write where, um, you know, keeping the focus on the action and on definitely on the atmosphere, creating that really creepy, um, sinister sort of atmosphere and letting the reader then take over and fill in those gaps. No, I, I like that. I, I think sometimes we, you know, especially if you're just starting out, I think you insult the readers because you feel like you have to give them all the details and, you know, rather than let them say, Hey, they're smart and they're imaginative. And that's a reason we read is to kind of engage that imaginative, imaginative part of our ourselves and yeah, letting them go, Oh, is that, you know, palm olive they're using in the sink or are the bubbles flowing over? It's like, we've all, you know, done dishes. It's like, do you have to tell them what, you know, that's like telling, you know, an alien, like, oh, this is what, you know, humans do. We fill the sink with soap. And it's like, everybody knows that, right? Right. Um, you know, and I, I really like this because, you know, I was just thinking back some of my favorite, I'm a big, you know, I write some thrillers too. And I love thriller uh, stories. And James Patterson is just, you know, for whatever people think of him, uh, he is a master at just giving you enough to kind of engage you and keep you interested and moving along but not so much that you have to fill in every, every gap. And he talked about that a lot. And it's, I've heard him in interviews talk about this, um, that he just hated books that just had too much detail because he's like, I just want to get to the good stuff and, uh, and let the readers kind of engage. And I, and I thought that was really interesting, just kind of thinking through that, because I think our insecurities come out when we feel like we have to describe the tree you know, for three pages or describe the house for nine pages. Like, unless it's like absolutely central to you're writing a creepy story about a house, I just don't think it's it's necessary. Would you would you say that's fair? Yes, absolutely. Well, good. I like this. So, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about you getting into writing thrillers um, because that's obviously the genre you enjoy reading. It seems like and also writing. So, tell us a little bit, kind of early influences. Like, what were some books that just kind of knocked your socks off, and you're just like, wow, this is this is something special. I want to write something like this. Yeah, so my um, affinity for thrillers and mysteries goes uh, back to childhood, and I was a huge fan of Nancy Drew. I dabbled in Hardy Boys when I ran out of Nancy Drew books, um, and I loved like Encyclopedia Brown, although I cursed him often because I could never figure out, <laughs> very rarely could I figure out the uh, mystery. His books were kind of, his stories were a little complicated. But um, I've always been drawn to the genre for sure. And I remember in, I believe it was fourth, no, it was fifth grade. My fifth grade teacher, you know, at that age, you still have the classroom reading time, or at least we did back then, where the teacher would read us a chapter from whatever book she had picked out. And um, one of my very favorite books to this day um, is the story that she read us then. It was called Wait Till Helen Comes. And it's by, um, oh, I'm forgetting her first name. Her last name is Han, H-A-H-N. I think it's Helen, but I'm not positive. Um, no, Helen, that's the, <laughs> that's the book title. Anyway, the book was this ghost story. It's set in New England. Um, and the whole thing was just very atmospheric, very creepy. Um, and we only got one chapter a day and I just, I still remember like the goosebumps coming out on my arms while I was listening and just staring out the window, looking at the trees and thinking like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is so good. <laughs> and being so, so disappointed when she, you know, when she finished that chapter. Um, and from there, I've just always been drawn to, to other thriller and suspense books. Um, I do read outside the genre and did for um, probably more in like my 20s. I read a lot more, um, I don't know, like I guess you could say like family drama. I think <laughs> I was trying to figure out my own life. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I definitely have circled back around and um, and read pretty heavily in, in the thriller suspense, mm -hmm. mystery, and a little bit of horror too. Okay. So, so tell us when you, okay, you've, so you've read a lot, you know, as a kid, you, you, you know, had some books that really influenced you kind of like, wow, this is, you know, I'm really engaged. I'm, I'm kind of creeped out. I feel like I'm part of the, the, the story. Uh, you know, what, what are some elements that you would say from your own perspective that really make for a good thriller or make for a good mystery? 
uh, you know, I, I kind of speak, I guess, kind of all in the same vein, kind of, kind of books that are suspenseful, that are, that are thrilling, that kind of keep, keep you moving on the page. What, what are some things that really in, you would say in your own writing, but also just stuff you've read that really keep you kind of moving along, turning the pages? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, I know I've mentioned this already, but to me, a really key component is the atmosphere and making, I believe if you write, um, well, in this genre, you can make the surroundings, whether it's an old house or a lot of my stories are set in like the deep wilderness or, you know, the woods in Vermont. And I think that that setting can actually become like a character. And so for me, the atmosphere is super important. I want to hear about the, you know, the smudgy clouds coming in and the, uh, the wind picking up and the people's reaction to these things. And um also the characters have to be likable but not uh perfect so i don't want i think trying to make a character that's perfect and that never makes a wrong decision um that never does anything stupid is a way to distance yourself from the reader because i don't like reading books where the characters always right and always um you know making the right choice and i mean if Honestly, how many people would really go into the creepy dark house <laughs> in the middle of the night? You can't always have your character doing logical things mm -hmm. <laughs> that you would do. Um, at the same time, you don't want their decisions to be so kind of out there that the reader is like, why in the world would you ever <laughs> do that? So it's kind of finding that balance, I think, between adventure taking and risk taking, um, but also keeping them real. And as far as the, um, like kind of layering in suspense, I think, um, keeping the dialogue going and focused and realistic, um, helps a lot with that as well as the more, uh, tense the situations getting in the scene, the shorter my sentences get. And I've noticed that in other writers as well. It's, um, a way I think to just keep things really taught and to keep the reader thinking like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen next. Um, so those are some of the key elements I believe to successful thriller writing. No, those are really good. I, I love what you're saying there because I think what you're, you're describing is kind of tapping into some of our just primal kind of fears. And, you know, when I think about as a kid, we uh, grew up at this house and the garage was in the back and that's like where the laundry room was. And so you had to walk through the backyard to this garage. And I remember as a kid, it was just terrifying in my little head because it's dark out. And, you know, who's going to attack me on the way from the, you know, and the garage is a little bit cre creepy and dar dark and spiders and all that. Um, but, but it's like, if you know, you're talking about the setting and it's like, yeah, creating kind of an environment where you, you kind of tap, you have the reader kind of tap into some of those even kid fears. And like, you know, my kids hate going in the basement and like, like just go downstairs and turn off the lights. I don't want to, I got to take my brother with me. You know, um, it's like, you're 12 years old. Why are you still doing that? But you, but you understand it's just, it's that, that what if in your head that, you know, what if somebody's down there, we know nobody's down there, but you know, you never know. Um, you know, I think of like a Stephen King, you know, it's and things like that. Like there's just these, these simple ideas that are just, they can be terrifying because you think of, you know, yeah, what could happen if a clown grabbed me from, you know, the sewer or whatever. And not that that really happens, but, but you think about that as a kid, you think about as an adult, you know, what if somebody's in the backseat, you know, whatever it is. Um, now I want to dig in a little further into uh, you're in the kind of new England, Vermont area, I believe. Um, what, what is, you know, you're obviously familiar with the area, but like, what does research look like when you're, you're putting a book together? I mean, are you doing a lot of research to kind of, to kind of build in some of the settings or do you see like a, a particular setting in your area and go like, Oh, that'd be a great setting for a, for a book or how does that work uh, as far as your process goes? Yeah. So, um, I mentioned before that I really like to set a lot of my books either in nature or, um, I feel like if they're not, set in nature, they're at least heavily influenced by nature. And I think that's just because I love being outdoors and being in the woods. And um, so a lot of that piece of it comes from my own experience. Um, things that I notice when I'm out walking or hiking, um, how 
kind of the seasonality changes the environment. So in the winter, you know, everything's really stark and bare. Um, and then in the summer, everything's very lush, but then there's more places for things to hide <laughs> in mm -hmm. the undergrowth. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, definitely nature heavily influences my work. Uh, as far as research goes, the series that I'm working on right now is called Monsters in the Green Mountains. And what it is, is uh, it is a series, but it's every book has its own set of characters. However, they're all, uh, all the books are set in kind of this deep wilderness area of Vermont. And each book has a different uh, folk legend that I'm exploring. So, um, so far there's been a Bigfoot appearance. Um, one I'm working on right now, there's a lake monster. And um, so I'm trying to kind of delve into the folk legends and the folklore of the state and then incorporate one of those um, creatures into the book in some way. And whether or not it's an actual creature or someone posing as a creature to wreak havoc, <laughs> that kind of depends on the, on the book. No, I like that. That uh, you know, I was just going to say that um, depending on where you are in the country, I've t I've interviewed quite a few authors that really set a lot of their books kind of in their local uh, environments. You know, one guy was writing kids' books, but they're all set in Virginia. And uh, you know, there's so much. You know, people, authors are always saying, "You know, how do I find ideas?" And it's like what you're describing is, you know, ideas are everywhere. I mean, places you know, even doing some research on folklores or whatever. Uh, my local library, I'm in Missouri, and one of my local libraries has a whole section on Missouri history. I mean, you can find ghost stories you can find, you know, during the cowboy uh, ages in the West and, you know, what was going on here and, and true crime. You can find cults. You can find I'm doing a, a, a new series kind of has like a cult kind of detective uh, kind of flair to it and just finding some old, you know, uh, information from Missouri about, you know, these kind of weird cults that were going on and things. Uh, you know, there's, I think there's just a lot of fun. I, I like the research part. I think there's a lot of fun to kind of dig up like, yeah, what are the the stories in Vermont or Missouri or California or wherever you're from? Uh, and, and just getting a lot of ideas from that. So, um, so when you, when you're, um, you know, obviously talk about Bigfoot or, you know, sea monsters, I mean, are you like reading about those things or are you, how are you kind of discovering some of these stories? Yeah, so uh, like you said, there's so much online that you can find uh, if you, you know, usually I'll start my research there just because it's easy access. Mm -hmm. Enough here in Vermont to have an excellent author. He writes nonfiction and in the past he wrote fiction novels. Uh, his name's Joe Citro. And one of his books, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's called something like, um, I think it's called Monsters of Vermont. Um, and it has a little blurb sort of about every uh, monster that supposedly lives in or um, has lived in the past here in the state. And uh, he had an illustrator that worked with him. So there's like a little picture, uh, like a sketch of the of the beast <laughs> along with a description of where it's been seen and um, you know what parts of the state it might it might live in so that's been a really great resource and kind of a good jumping off place mm. um, and then of course working with my local library um, the librarians are super helpful and they're always um, ready to to help me kind of delve a little bit deeper into the research I love that librarians are the best. I mean, they, it's like, <laughs> I was telling about this, you know, I'm doing some, you know, uh, research on this on cults in Missouri and things. And like, they got so excited. I had this one girl that was just, she's like, Oh really? Like, you know, and she's like, I'm going to get right on that. I mean, I just kind of gave her an idea and she just was like, Oh, there's this book and this book and you should check out this. And, you know, we just had a guy come in and speak about this. You know, there's like this faith healer back in the day that came into town. This guy came into Kansas city and talked about him and you should check out his book. It's awesome. You know, um, uh, it's amazing how many people get just as excited as you, you know, to kind of help you in the process. Um, True. that's why I always say like indie publishing and, and if you're indie published or self-published, like it's really never really self-published cause you always have a team of people that are helping you in so many ways. Um, so, uh, so JP, you, you've written quite a few books, um, and in mystery thriller kind of all over the place and, um, for quite a few years. 
And yet one of the things that I'm always drawn to, and this may sound silly, but or counterintuitive, but, but I love hearing stories of failure. And uh, I was, I was kind of digging around on your, your website and you talked about uh, a time when you were going to quit writing thrillers and, and yet what happened through that experience where you're kind of done and going to do something else and, um, but kind of came back to it and kind of what you learned from that. So would you mind sharing just a little bit of that, that kind of season and story of your life? Oh, absolutely. I love failure stories as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're so easy to relate to, right? Exactly. Um, this one or this uh, occurrence for me was um, about three, three or four years after my first novel had come out. And I kept thinking to myself, I just need consistency and just to be persistent. And surely as I continue to put out new books, things are going to start looking up, right? Book sales are going to increase. People are going to learn about me. Um, More bookstores will start carrying the books. And, um, you know, I just have to be patient. And I was for, you know, those three or four years, I was working hard on building up my platform, got my website up, had the newsletter going, doing the social media stuff, um, trying to get some local coverage. I've been very fortunate to be featured in some local newspapers. And um, so I just kept thinking, you know, one of these things is going to be my big break and, um, and then things are going to change. Um, unfortunately, what I found was that everything was kind of flatlining. So I would get a new book out. I would have a little dribble of sales. And then no matter how much I was trying to promote it, it just felt like there wasn't really a lot happening. And around that same time, I, um, I visit book groups locally and that's a lot of fun. I get some really good feedback from readers and it's just fun being around other bookworms and people that love literature. And, uh, unfortunately though, one of these book groups that I attended, these two gentlemen were just had so many critical things to say about, um, about one of my books. And, you know, you're just sitting there, keeping a smile plastered on your face, trying to um, let the words just roll off. But inside you're like, oh my gosh, this is so painful. And, you know, inside you're kind of rebutting all their mean comments. Um, and anyway, I just, I left there and I thought, oh, why, why am I doing this to myself? Like nobody cares about these books. Um, and the people who are reading them don't even like them. You know, of course, it became like everyone reading them hated them because these two guys <laughs> in the book group didn't like them. But um, so I just, I, it wasn't a conscious decision like in that moment where I was thinking like, I quit, I'm not doing this anymore. But it was more a culmination of negative um, things kind of happening all at once around my writing or not happening around my books that I felt should be happening. Um, so finally I did just took a very long break. I think it was a year and a half where I basically was just done with writing fiction. I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, I was totally discouraged. I felt like there were no more ideas coming. And then the longer that I went without writing, the less and less the ideas were coming. Um, and so I just decided I was going to be a normal person and give up on that writing thing and just go to work, do my job, um, come home, stream Netflix and be happy. (laughs) (laughs) But it didn't work out that way because, um, I found that I wasn't happy. And the longer that I went without writing, the more hollowed out I felt and everything felt dull and flat and, um, things that used to bring me happiness. Just, I didn't really care anymore about them as much. Um, you know, on the outside, I looked like a normal functioning person. I still went to work and did a good job and took care of my family. And, um, I don't think even the people closest to me really had an idea of how much I was struggling inside, but, um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty awful. (laughs) Uh, it was, um, but eventually, eventually I thought I can't keep doing this. Like even if nobody else reads another thing I've written, I still have to write the stories because 
I think that that's what I'm meant to do. Like, I, mm. I don't think I can escape being a writer, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, even when I tried to. So I eventually eased myself back in uh, through NaNoWriMo and um, just kept going since mm. then. Well, I love that. Thanks for, for sharing that. I know that's, that's not an easy uh, thing to share. And I, I know it resonates probably with, you know, thousands, thousands of people that listen to this show. Um, you know, we, we've all been there, right? We've all, I mean, the, the, the best authors, the greatest authors, the big success stories, you know, there's so many people, so many writers I know, even since I started in 2012 that are nowhere to be found because they kind of similar stories. It's like, well, this is just not happening anymore. And, you know, I'm just going to give up. Um, but I, I love what you're, you're saying, uh, JP, because I, I think what, um, you know, I know some of you, both of us come from like a faith background. Um, and you know, when I think of death and resurrection, you know, it's uh. like sometimes you have things have to die for it to be resurrected back to life. And, um, and a lot for a lot of writers, that's, that's their story. It's death and resurrection. And then you come back with a totally different perspective. Um, yeah. and you're free to write, you're, you're free because you're going, you know what, I have these stories I need to tell. And it's not about money or fame or success. It's, it's about these stories that I have to, I have to tell and getting them out there. And, and we, we get so many bad, I think bad advice and, and bad, um, you know, wisdom from other people that really say like, well, you know, if you're not making money, then it's not worth doing. And it's like, well, why is everything you know motivated by money or crowds or I mean some of the best stuff is um you, you go study artists and writers from the past and it's like they were failures in their time they didn't weren't even discovered till generations later you know um and yeah so I I love your story just because I've been there too and in many different ways and yet you come back with such a I think a healthier perspective of, of like wow, these guys are just shredding my books. And, you know, I've had my books shredded too. And I know what that's like. And it's like, well, hey, you know, you don't understand. You know, it's like telling me my kids are ugly, you know? And, <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I, I hope that's just an encouragement to everyone listening um, because you're going to go through that season probably some way, <laughs> shape or form. Um, yeah. I don't care who you are. Um, it's why guys like Steve Pressfield are popular because they write books on, you know, Stephen Pressfield on, you know, the resistance and how we all, doesn't matter if you've had great success or not, you're going to have tons of failures. And it's like, how do you keep going? Right. Um, so I want to, I want to just dig in a little bit, um, into part of, part of your story, because you, when you reached out to me, which is interesting, you just mentioned, Hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian and you knew I was a Christian and we, we kind of, you know, bonded over that. Um, but you said, you know, I don't write Christian thrillers. And, uh, and, and I really resonate with that, but I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. So, um, I, I know partly what you're saying is that, you know, I don't write for a predominantly Christian market or for, you know, in the Christian fiction genre. Um, but, but how would you kind of d- define like <laughs> maybe on the other side, how do you define a Christian thriller? Like versus just maybe more a mainstream thriller? Is it just, you know, everybody becomes a Christian in the end or everybody wins? Like what? you know, how have you kind of worked through that just as a person of faith and, you know, how that informs your writing and, and things like that? Like, is that, or is that too broad of a, a question? No, no, that's good. Um, I guess I, to start with the Christian versus non-Christian book, I feel like I, I don't actually now as an adult, I don't really read much Christ, Christian fiction. Um, I did as a kid because my parents were really, um, generous and always buying me books and they steered me towards Christian fiction. Um, but what I found is that the older I got, the more frustrated I got with the constant, um, kind of saving story. Like at the end, everybody gets saved and they're all happy Christians and go on to live merry lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, as I got older, it started to, um, turn me off a little bit from the whole, um, Christian focused fiction, I guess you would say. And Mm -hmm. I think that a good story is a good story, no matter how you label it. So um, like C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, his Chronicles of Narnia series is absolutely amazing and it can be enjoyed by anyone. And um, for a long time, really guilty. I actually, um, my older sister is a Christian author. She writes Christian fiction and that was always really celebrated in, in my family. And, um, and she's a great writer and I'm glad that she, uh, to write what she does, mm-hmm. but I never felt like that was what I was called to write. And so I always felt 
a little bit worried that I was being selfish or not hearing correctly or um, or that I was going to, I don't know, like I was taking um, something that had been given to me and making a mess of it mm. <laughs> by um, by not kind of focusing my faith because my faith is really a, a hugely important part of my life. And so I thought, you know, how can I leave my writing, which is also a huge part of my life out of, um, or how can I leave my faith out of my writing? Um, but a good friend um, kind of talked to me about this and she really helped me to see things in a different way. Um, she really pointed out that I'm going to tell the story that needs to be told. And because of my faith, I'm going to be telling it from a faith perspective. So I don't need to be, you know, trying to ram the Bible down people's throats or um, spouting Bible verses or making sure that, you know, my characters are always making these Christian choices or whatever Mm -hmm. um, in order for the, for the story to still have kind of, redeeming value if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and so that really helped a lot after we had that conversation i really got much more um clarity and felt like yeah that's really true i'm not i'm just gonna stop fighting what i feel i'm meant to do and just do it mm-hmm. <laughs> um i like that so. No, that, that's really great. I think, you know, we have a lot of, you know, Christian authors that have come on the show and people that are listening, they're Christian, you know, probably more that aren't. And, uh, and yeah, always that question of like, what, is, you know, what is Christian fiction? What does that even mean? Um, you, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You, you mentioned earlier in your story about, you know, writing, maybe writing stories that, um, you know, aren't stomach turners, you know, or page turners, <laughs> but not stomachs. And, you know, how can your worldview come through? And, and, and I think, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, I, I've been a pastor for a lot of years and, you know, I have an up close, you know, vision and picture and relationships of people that aren't put together. And so when I read Christian fiction, I don't get it because I go, people I deal with every day are filled with doubt and anxiety and worry and make bad decisions. And not everybody wins in the end and people suffer and die of cancer and commit suicide. And like, this is in the church. So it's not, it's not fair to write books that really don't capture that you know, essence, like, Oh, if you just, you know, if you follow Jesus, everything will go well for you. Right. Um, and that's just not how, how humanity is and how the world is and, and how our lives are. And so, um, so I think, it, you know, when you even put an adjective like Christian on it, isn't fair either because Christian really, you know, books don't have a soul. It's like Christian music. I mean, a lot of times it represents the faith well, but a lot of times it doesn't. So I want to be, be, be weary of putting those labels on things that maybe don't represent it as well as it could be. Um, because I think that's that's the naive point of view is just to think, well, somebody's a Christian writing Christian fiction that somehow that represents the faith really well. But a lot of times the pictures you get aren't representing it very well um, and actually could push people away because they don't, re- like you said earlier, like they don't resonate with the characters because everyone's broken and everyone's flawed. And yet if you write stories where everyone's perfect and everybody wins in the end, that just doesn't connect because we're all fil- filled with doubt and fear and and you know, and heartache and, you know, all that. So, um, no, I thank you for sharing that. And I, I think, you know, when you, you, everyone comes to the page with a particular worldview, and of course that's going to come through in some way, shape or form. I, I mean, I love writing about most of my characters have some kind of faith crisis, you know, in, in the sense of either they're just kind of nominal or they're, they're, they're not dealing well with God because things just aren't working out. Um, and, and, and I feel like that's, that's, you know, as a, work of a pastor. Like that's what I deal with more often than not. It's not like everyone's put together and everyone has all the answers. It's like, Hey, we're all on this journey together and we're all struggling and we need God's grace. Um, that, that gives me hope because that, that resonates with my friends that aren't Christians too. Um, so yeah, thanks for, for sharing that. Um, and so as we, uh, continue on, one of the questions I like to ask, uh, all of our authors is a little bit of the process questions, because I, I think, there's things you can learn from everybody's process. And I always say, don't just do what JP does or what I do because we said do it that way. But, but what can you learn? What can you glean? What can you take from um, as far as process? So, so tell us a little bit um, first just about when do you find time? How do you find time to write with all the other responsibilities uh, you have going on in your life? Yeah, so I, I have an easier time now than I did in the past. Um, 
I am a freelance writer, so I have clients that I write for, but my days are pretty much um, mine to organize and structure the way that I um, see fit and that, you know, are, are, are the most efficient. Um, so my typical schedule now is to get up early. I have um, some quiet time first thing. And then usually right after that, I move into my fiction writing. Um, and I don't really set a goal as far as word count, though it does tend to be roughly the same-ish <laughs> in a ballpark um, every day. Um, and then when that piece is done, I will fit in some editing of another manuscript. Um, and, and then the afternoons, later in the morning and then into the afternoon is the time that I generally set aside for doing my client work and um, promotion or um, book related stuff that needs to get done just because my energy um, then my mental energy is not quite what it is first thing um, but with that being said I worked full-time um, when I first started writing and the first couple of books I just used um, I call it the 15-minute writing method uh, so I just told myself I only have to write for 15 minutes, that's it. And then if I'm not enjoying it or if I run out of time, it's no big deal, I'll have that 15 minutes done. And um, so I would like usually get up, get everything done that I need to do um, before I went to work. And then I would sit down and write for 15 minutes. And um, you know, people say, I've told lots of people this and they're like, oh, that's such a short amount of time. Like what can you get done in 15 minutes? And but it's really amazing how quickly it builds. And, um, and some days I did have a little bit longer. So maybe some days I would go for like a half an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, but even on the days when I just did 15 minutes, it all builds on itself and becomes like that snowball. Hmm. And uh, so that's something that I tell um, other writers who maybe feel overwhelmed because everybody's super busy and, you know, we don't all have the luxury of, just taking hours a day to, to work on our fiction. Mm -hmm. No, I like that. That, uh, what is it? Parkinson's law. I forget. It's, it's the law that, you know, says you're, you're going to fill the, the time it takes to finish a project. So it's like, if you have 40 hours in the week, but if you don't, you know, realize you only have really 20, you can actually do 40 hours a week, uh, work in, in 20 hours. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I have, a, I have a friend, his, his whole strategy is 15-minute sprints. That's all he does. And he does like three or four a day. And he writes like 700 words per sprint. And so, wow. I mean, he has it down to like a science. He's like, you know, 2,000 plus a day. And then by the end of the year, he's got 300,000 words, you know, and plenty of books to speak of. Um, <laughs> but it is, you're right. It, it, you shock yourself going, oh, if I just had, you know, an hour or two hours, you know, 15 minutes over lunch, 30 minutes over lunch, you'd be amazed at the end of the year how many, how many words you get down. Um, because that's all you're doing, right? You feel, it's like, what does they say? You know, when you have a big project to do, um, it's kind of the, um, you, you know, the hardest thing that you need to do that the first thing, because you can really give all your time and energy to it. Um, right. but yeah, when you know, all you have to do is 15 minutes, it really can be very, very motivating. Um, I like that. I think, I think you have a book on that. Don't, don't you? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely put that in the, in the show notes. People should check that out. Um, so, um, so you, you transitioned from full-time work to kind of full-time work, but freelancing work. So you kind of set up your day how you want. Now, uh, tell me a little bit kind of uh, just when you kind of dig into your own process and kind of how it's evolved, like how has it changed? I mean, are you, um, you talked about doing research and things like, are you doing big outlines before you begin a project or do you kind of just go for it? Tell us a little bit about that, that part of your process. Yeah, so I've tried just about everything, and um, like you said, which I love, is I don't think that you should just blindly take some other writer's um, advice and, and say, this is how it has to be. Um, early on, when I first started getting serious about finishing a novel for the first time, I um, was reading in Writer's Digest about this famous, you know, best-selling author, and they said, oh, you have to make this really detailed outline and you, you need to work from the outline and, and that will help you. And um, so I thought, oh, okay, that's what this author, <laughs> you know, who I really admire and respect right. says, so I'm going to do that. And I did it 
And soon after, I found that I did not have any desire to sit down in the chair and write anymore. Hmm. And I thought, well, what's going on? Like, why don't I want to do this? And then I realized it was because I was bored. I didn't want to write because I already knew what was going to happen. So it was like the fun and the adventure had gone out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So now what I do, unfortunately, now I've kind of reverted back to my, my, um, (laughs) my fly by the seat of your pants nature. And um, so I generally have an extremely loose outline of things that may or may not actually happen (laughs) in the book. And, um, and no matter how much of an outline I create, I always leave the ending wide open because I don't want to find out what's going to happen or, um, before the end of the story. I like that. I like that. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, I'm not going to say this as you have to do this or, you know, you're going against your biology, but, uh, I read this, I was reading this book recently on the brain and it's really fascinating about our subconscious and, you know, the whole thing about, Oh, I came up with this new idea is really not true because in your subconscious, you already have ideas and you have stories and you have, you know, uh, angles and you have things. It's really, when you write a story, even if you are outlining there, it's, it's coming from somewhere, like it's already in there. And it's like almost learning how to trust kind of your creative, I call it the creative brain or subconscious brain, uh, that, that, that story will come out, you know, even if you do have an outline or even if you think like, Oh, it should happen this way. Um, and again, outlines are, they're, they're, they're fine. Um, I, I typically do a very, very, very light, not even really an outline, just kind of ideas and, and things. But, um, but, but, you know, as storytellers, we've been ab- absorbing stories our whole lives and we've been taking in movies and film and, and reading fiction. And, and it's like almost just learning how to kind of trust that subconscious, that creative part of us that like the story is going to go where it needs to go. And it's going right. to be exactly what you need to be. It needs to be. And, uh, and, you know, I've, I mean, I've heard debates on, you know, this way or that way. So I'm not saying thus saith the Lord and this is the only way, but <laughs> trust your storyteller, trust your creativity, trust, you know, um, the story that what it needs to be and be okay with it. Um, no, I love that. I love that. Uh, what you said about leaving the, the, the ending open. <laughs> That's so great. Um, cause that is boring. I mean, to me it's boring. I mean, I, I do agree with that. It's, it's like, Oh, I already know what's going to happen at the end. But then sometimes as the story unfolds, you realize, Oh, the ending's really different. Um, right. and it's going to go over here and Ooh, that's even better. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so tell us a little bit about just like your editing kind of, you know, once you have, cleaned up manuscript. It's in really good, good uh, place. You know, where, where do you send it from there? Like who gets to look at it? Who gets to critique it? Who gets to edit it? Who gets to polish it? Uh, where does it go from there? Okay. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately the downside of having that freewheeling kind of, um, fly by the seat of your pants, uh, first draft situation is that the editing for me is very time consuming. I do a mm-hmm. whole lot of drafts and I don't really like editing. So um, I would just write first drafts like for the rest of my life if I could and then give them to somebody else to clean up. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, that, that doesn't happen. So what I do is I go through and do a first pass of editing. And then I usually try to do another one to two edits before I hand it off to my beta readers. Um, they have it generally for three weeks or so, and then they give it back to me with their comments. And uh, I then go through it again, address what needs to be addressed, and um, do another kind of complete edit to make sure it's really like the cleanest I can get it. And then I pass it on to my editor. She goes over everything. And then when she gets it back to me, I go through again, at least one more time, sometimes twice, just double checking for typos and any, like, I think of it as like when you're sewing. So I'm looking for like loose threads or um, any like little snags or anything like that that needs to be fixed. And then uh, last, it goes to the formatter. That's great. I like that. So yeah, so by the time, I mean, you get it back and it's cleaned up. I mean, it's, it's had a lot of passes and a lot of eyes on it and a lot of, uh, you know, like, I love that analogy you said about, you know, um, you say knitting, sewing, um, you know, threads and yeah, just finding those kind of inconsistencies or things that maybe don't make sense or things you overlook, but that's great. Um, and again, you know, it's what you're sharing. It's like, yeah, that's not for everybody. And everyone has a different, you know, patterns of, of sharing and editing. It's like, Hey, I send mine off to an editor and 
it is what it is. And, uh, you know, um, so, uh, what one question that our audience always loves is just as far as marketing goes, I know we all get scared of marketing and we don't like to talk about it, but, um, anything that's been, um, maybe helpful for you and just your own kind of, uh, writing publishing journey, uh, that's been helpful in just kind of promoting your work, getting eyeballs on your work, um, connecting with readers, things like that. Yeah. Marketing is kind of a huge, <laughs> um, my approach is always to test the waters of any kind of new idea that I think will line up well with my fiction and what I'm creating. Um, so I've had, I've tried a whole bunch of different things, which I'm not going to tell you every single thing. So we for all afternoon, but, um, the things that have been most effective, I would say, uh, have especially recently has been offering a free short story on my website and um, for people that sign up for the newsletter. And then I also offer a print uh, print copy of my book each month just for newsletter subscribers. So I do a drawing every month and whoever wins gets a signed print copy of one of my books sent to them in the mail. Um, Another area that's been pretty helpful has been um, uh, social media, which I find it still a little tricky to track um, as far as like what sales came directly from social media. But I know that the more time I spend uh, interacting with people online, um, it does seem to influence my book sales. And most recently, I've been dabbling again in uh, ads on on Amazon, and I've seen a little bit of success there. So I'm going to keep kind of tweaking that and um, playing around with the different variables to see if I can get something that's even a little bit more successful than than what it's been doing for the last month or so that I've been kind of playing with those. That's good. So how, JP, how many books do you have uh, roughly? I have seven published right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, just, uh, just using JP as an example. So she has seven books and, you know, when you're doing ads or you're doing, you know, free stories, things like that, it is important to have a backlist. I think, you know, obviously with you, you have somewhere to, sh- to take people, you know, on the journey and, and say, Hey, I have this, but I also have this and I have this and that's this. Um, I, I, I say all that because I think a lot of uh, people in our community, they're just starting out and it's like, Oh, the marketing and the marketing, marketing, you know, the best marketing is write the next book. Um, mm-hmm. And also if you don't have a backlist, there's not a lot to <laughs> point people to. And so I see a lot of writers that really don't have much out there trying to, you know, promote one thing, you know, over and over and over uh, is yeah. Write the next thing, build up that backlist and, and, you know, build out a series, do something that you can kind of point people to because it is harder to market if you don't really have much to, <laughs> to, to kind of point people to. So yeah, um, so you have a lot, of, you have a lot of real estate to kind of experiment with and play with. And I, I found that too, like doing free things and doing paid things and doing other things. Cause you just have more, more things on the shelf. Right. Also, if I could just add, um, I recently kind of assessed like book sales for last year. And what I realized was that I've done mostly standalones to this point up until I started this series that I'm working on now. And, um, <clears throat> What I looked at last year was my sales figures in relation to each of my books. And what I found was that the book that I published in 2017, which is called Shadow in the Woods, um, that's one of the Bigfoot books, it, um, that one sold more copies than like anything I'd written to that point or after that point. And it, looked, it was like 80% probably of my total sales from when I started came from that one book. So I was like, Oh, okay. I think I need to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up writing a prequel to that book. Uh, and so that was kind of the start of the green mountain or monsters in the green mountain series, which I'm still working on now, but I think it's really important to, um, just pay attention to what's actually selling. And like you said, you can't do that if you only have one book. So once you have a few things out, you can kind of see like, okay, wow, this one is one that's really resonating with readers. So now what can I do with that? Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. You're almost doing your own kind of market research. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. All right, JP. So you get to the end of your life. 
Uh, all your books are destroyed. There's no writing books. There's no evidence of you anywhere, but you have this live microphone to the universe and you want to tell people your best three writerly truths, you know, everything you've learned, everything that you'd want to share with your beginning writers, uh, starting out writers, veteran writers would be three things you'd want to tell them. Oh man. Um, well, first and foremost, I would say definitely to your own self be true. So, um, whatever it is that you feel called to write, whatever you enjoy writing, uh, whatever voice you have, just go with that and trust um, trust your instincts around your writing because no matter what happens, um, no matter how it's received, I think that you will always be nourished by your writing and, um, and enjoy it passionately if you're really writing what you, what you love. Uh, so that would be the first thing. The second would be... Um, just to break things down into tiny little bits, like we were talking about the 15-minute writing method, um, anything you can do to make a big goal that feels completely out of out of your um, realm, just take that and just keep breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down until you have something small enough that you can do consistently and um, feel successful with. That will really help you to get more confident and uh, it's also super satisfying to, to see the result of all those little steps. And the third piece uh, or, or piece of information, I guess I would say, would be um, just to try to surround yourself with people who um, support you in whatever form that means. Somebody, um, you know, it could be your spouse or it could not be. It could be a friend. It could be a writer's group or just a community that you're part of online, but you need some kind of connection with other people who feel passionately about writing and um, depending on your goals, making a living from your books. Uh, you need somebody that you can, will be able to support you and that you can also give support to. Oh, I like that. I, your, especially your second point, I like the you know small goals. Uh, you know they always say, "How do you eat an elephant?" Well, one bite at a time. Right. And uh, so it, it's really true, though, right? It's you get overwhelmed when you have two, you know, it's big. Huge, I'm going to finish a novel, and yet you got to do it word by word, sentence by sentence, right? Yeah. Uh, no, thanks for sharing all those. Those are really, really awesome. Uh, so JP, tell us uh, two things. What do you have going on right now? What do you have coming out? And then secondly, where can we find you? Great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so I'm working on books three and four of the Monsters in the Green Mountain series. Uh, so that means that books one and two are out. Um, the first came out just in April because I added it as a prequel. Um, so those are what I'm working on now, that series. And um, people can find me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and my website. Very, very cool. Well, JP, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. You have helped a lot of people and uh, inspired them, encouraged them, blessed them. And I'm so thankful for you and all your success and sharing all the hard things and the in-between things. And you really, 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 at least inspired me, if anyone, uh, to keep on going when things get hard. So, so thanks, JP, for coming on the show and all the best. Well, there you have it prolific writer nation, JP Choquette. And I am so thankful for her coming on the show. Go check out her books. Her website is in the show notes and, uh, have a fun thriller of a ride read from JP Choquette. And, and I just loved her story because I think it's all of our stories is those moments when you want to give up those moments when you say, you know what, I'm tired of the bad reviews. I'm tired of people saying these books are no good. I'm tired of, you know, the voices in my head, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes we, we have to pause and go, okay, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Uh, but I just love her tenacity. I love her reasoning that she found a new reason why she had to write is because she had to tell these stories. And I think if we're all honest in our deepest bones and our deepest parts of us, the deepest places of us writing and creation and making things is not for fame and fortune or money. I don't think that's a, the greatest motivator, but, but I think there's something deeper going on that we have these stories and we have to get them out and we have to share these stories and these messages with people. And so, uh, you know, it's finding kind of what, what drives us. 
and even when the reviews aren't coming or the sales aren't coming in. Uh, so thank you, JP, for coming on the show. As I said at the top of the show, if you'd like to uh, stay updated on the 45-day novel course, join the VIP list. Also, if you want to make sure you stay apprised in the newest podcast episodes and articles and other resources coming out, I'd love for you to connect in that way. And then a couple other things. One, if you'd love to leave a, a rating or review on iTunes, that would really help us out a lot. And I thank you for all your kind words and comments in the past. And uh, leave an honest review. I'd love to uh, have you do that. And I'll put the in the show notes, you can leave that on iTunes. So I'll put the link there. And then lastly, if you'd like to support this show and all the other shows on the Project Entertainment Network, a podcast family, uh, there's some great shows in the network. Check out the Patreon page and you get some free stuff, some cool stuff. I think the minimum... Uh, donation as a dollar and uh, we'll send you some cool stuff and so uh, check out the patreon page so hey this is ryan j pelton from the prolific writer so glad that you stopped by today so thankful that you are along for the ride and before i go i have one more thing to say go get those words on the page and i'll talk to you real real soon Join us each Wednesday on the Mondo Method Podcast, brought to you by Project Entertainment Network. The Mondo Method Podcast features authors Armand Rosamilia and Chuck Buddha as they discuss the writing process from both the veteran and the novice perspectives. Each episode ends with a segment called Marketing Morsels, where expert publicist Aaron Sweet Almahari teaches everyone how to promote their work and sell more books. Check us out on the Mondo Method Podcast on Project Entertainment Network. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 